What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. is paulina pinsky okay what's your name okay well feel like you're rushing me and all of us i don't really think you listed a lot of evidence for who you are other than your name uh i'm mike fallick but i'll believe you for now i'll believe i'll believe you for now my favorite color is orange that's it it's you i don't need need to say anymore i knew it um (laughs) that's all it took we are hashtag cold podcast we are currently making a documentary about MGTOW. Uh, Paulina, what's MGTOW? MGTOW stands for Men Going Their Own Way. They are a red pill cult on the internet who believe that women are bad people. Yeah, and even more than that, they believe in not cohabitating uh, with women, not um, marrying, uh, not dating women, uh, not having sex, not masturbating, uh, that women are whining if they ever have any issues. Feminism isn't real. Social justice warriors, feminists, and liberals are all trying to censor them. Um, And that to do otherwise, you will lose your money, home, livelihood, and be accused of sexual assault. Just that. Just that. Just those few tenants. Uh, (laughs) We've been doing... And they're a cult. They're a cult. They've been brainwashed. These are usually people with some sort of hardship, and now they've been sort of given a great way to scapegoat it and harbor some pretty bad behaviors. And so our goal is to help tell people this is a cult. And just that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you heard on the episode you were on before about my interview with Codename Tom? Could you explain what that is? So basically, this guy, Codename Tom. You've heard of it. I've, I've, I've heard of this fellow. Okay, you were there. Okay. I was there. I was there. Uh, he found our videos and was in the comment section. Uh, I don't know exactly what his behavior was in the comment section. MGTOW-ish. But it was MGTOW-ish. So inflammatory, spammy, long, verbose, meandering uh, <laughs> words. Uh, and Mike was able to sit down with him and have a conversation. Yeah, and he was completely anonymous. And we're going through his interviews. We'll be doing minutes 15 through an hour over the next few episodes. It's very dense, everyone. In fact, we like have a few clips that like we're probably going to do as its own episode around nine minutes because we skipped over that section. But um, to catch you up on the, on the part that we skipped, 
one of the things that they sort of always assume, I, because in doing this podcast, we're going to explain the behind the scenes of making the documentary, pre-production, post-production. I guess one thing I haven't revealed to maybe you, Paulina, is every time I talk to them, they assume at some point I'm going to be like, let's talk about MGTOW now. You know, tell me about MGTOW. Enlighten me about MGTOW because I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I never once brought up MGTOW. Interesting. And he'll say a lot in this when we get to it later. And that's a phrase that a lot of subjects repeat. They think that I'm somehow filling time till we talk about MGTOW and Red Pill. And when we get to the women's stuff later, and when we get to the women's stuff later, that's a pre-production thing. I never wanted to know about their stance on MGTOW. I wanted to know about them as people. I know what their stance is on MGTOW. They're brainwashed into thinking MGTOW is real. So we'll be playing clips. We both have the same first clip. Are you ready, Paulina? I'm absolutely ready. Are you, though? Okay, put our hands in. Put our podcast hands in. Hands on three. Do we just say hands? Two, three. Three. Hands. Hands. So at at 16, if you didn't hear our entire episode about the first minute of of 15, 15 minutes, we're skipping to 16 minutes, 39 seconds. You wrote it as 16 minutes, 39, crossed it out and wrote 16 minutes, 49 seconds. Excuse me, says Paulina. (laughs) I just want to be precise. About his dad not being the bad guy. And I also included this story about football. Did Did your father abuse your mother? No, actually, like looking back on it, she was she was one hundred percent the abusive one. But he, what he, what his deal is, is that he's an idiot. So you never saw you know, he's, your he's father rape your mother or hit your mother? Nah, nah. My dad's a good. He's he wants to be a good dude for the most part. He'll make shit decisions that are entirely based off of, uh, you know. He's more concerned about what other people think of him. Then he is concerned about the reality of his, of his situation. What are some shit decisions he would make? So he, um, let's see. I'll just go to a uh, a family dynamic of uh, him, my younger brother, my older brother, and I all playing football together, two v two. My older brother and I versus younger brother and dad, right? And uh, I'm just doing what I do, which is uh, just do the the analytical thing. You know, Brian Brian's faster. Uh, Chris is slower, so if I just put it out in front of Chris just enough, Brian will get to it. But uh, Brian, the older brother, being an emotional thinker, he uh, he would he just wants me to throw it like a bullet to him each time. He has a specific set uh, that I was of uh, standards that I wasn't meeting, even though we're winning, right? So I'm getting tired of that. So I stop the game until my dad. I'm just like, hey, this guy's ruining my victory. Uh, I don't even care if I win. I just want to have a good time playing this game with you guys. Let's switch teams and finish out the day. And my father also being an emotional thinker, that does, that's, that's not the way he wants his day to go. So I set out like two more options for, to make the day like decent for everyone. And uh, all he wants to do is watch me like... The, w- the way it seemed to me was he wasn't going to enjoy his day unless my day was just like kind of shittier. So, thoughts? Yeah, you know, it was a little unclear. Uh, This was kind of the moment in which 
uh, emotional thinkers uh, as a phrase was introduced. I'm so happy you talked about this. I knew you were going to say something. Go. Yeah. I mean, there's the logical thinkers and then there's the emotional thinkers. And according to Codename Tom, emotional thinkers are not sound thinkers. They're literally I wrote emotional thinker is the bad one question mark i knew you were gonna say that i'm so happy you said it talk about it yeah i mean it it kind of again it kind it gets into this binary of like you know there's the emotional thinkers and there's the rational thinkers and and you know to think emotionally is is to kind of diminish your your intellectual power from what i understand Mm -hmm. um and and honestly, like I'm an emotional thinker for sure. You know, like how can you how can you move through the world and not play into your emotions at all? I don't I don't I don't I don't that doesn't compute for me personally. Yeah, and I have a I have a point later about this same emotional thinking thing when he sort of explains more about why his dad is the bad one and when his mom is the bad one and his dad isn't. Um, but I agree. I'm not sure why. Even if you're the master of your emotions, certainly you're thinking emotionally, right? Is uh... well, I think the idea of being able to be completely divorced from your emotions is is not true. Like I don't unless unless there's like a personality, you know, it's I I. I guess I'm trying to dance around. You know, I want to, I want to like, cause I think sometimes people on this show, they hear me being like, so like uh, talking all the time. And I just want to say <laughs> the reason that Paulina is like at all stammering. She's really well-spoken is cause these people say stuff so casually as if you're just supposed to not like be really confused and be like, wait, emotional is bad. Like, wait, but I'm an emotional. I, everyone thinks with their emotions. Like you literally have to go through. And I just want people to hear what I'm hearing when you like get in that way. I'm like, yeah, you're having to explain like existence over one sentence. It's so tough, yeah. right? It's so it's, tough. And I usually just let you really do it. Hard. <laughs> it's really hard. I mean, I guess what I wanted to say, which I was afraid of saying, is like unless you have like a personality disorder, you you you're gonna have your emotions uh, play into your th- decision making. Like the idea of that, you know, there's people who are completely rational and they never, ever, ever are influenced by their emotion. I think is a fallacy, unless I'm wrong, which I could be, but. Again, it feels kind of like regurgitated, right? Mm -hmm. That there's an emotional thinker and a rational thinker, and he's not an emotional thinker. Um, Some of the powerful stories when you hear people come out of cults is to hear just how long they had been in it and just keep using the same phrases and to be like, oh, no, that's jargon. And I think that this one is sort of, if we were more confrontational, which I wasn't, you would... I would say like, hey, like emotional thinker, as we did with the intervention episode, that's jargon. I don't under really, I don't really understand what you're saying by emotional thinker, right? It's a weird word. It's a strange phrase. Um, and I think that it's interesting with the football story that he tells this whole thing. And I guess I'll just skip to this note because you guys will understand fully what he means by emotional thinker now that we're doing it. But it's interesting that the reason he stops the game, right? is because he's not having a fun time because of their strategy, right? Yes. He's not having fun. Who's the most emotional one? Codename Tom. 
Codename Tom is so emotional, he can't play through the game. He has to stop. He has to say, let's change how this whole game is being played because I'm not having fun. That to me sounds like the emotion. Now, emotionally clear, sure. He knew I'm not having fun. That's a great attribute to have. MGTOW has changed that story. And this is the danger of it. It changes the narrative. And I have some notes on this later too. Changes the narrative. It became, I was so logical. I figured out why I wasn't having fun. Instead of, I I was emotional. I had a moment. I asked everyone if they could help me. I was also curious as to how old he was when that story happened. Um, yeah, uh, that's unclear. It seems as though they're a little bit older than the other stories. Um, I didn't harp on it because it didn't quite seem to be. Uh, additionally, the football story didn't seem congruous with the questions I asked, which was the abuse right. from his parents. Well, right. I think I think when I first heard that story, it kind of hit my ears weird because I was like, what does that have to do with anything and i think what you're saying about rewriting narratives um he took this memory in which you know he was playing a football game and it wasn't going the way that he wanted and so then he you know calculated in order to to make it better um as opposed to just being stoic right and moving on right sorry but even just how he's he's he told it it was kind of like this weird projection of like they were being emotional thinkers and i was being a rational thinker and it was like it sounds like you were playing football and you weren't doing that well uh and you got mad about it but you know i wasn't there i i can't say for sure what happened but but it's meant to be evidence to us and that's that's the important thing about the way migtails and a hashtag cult will operate this is meant to be evidence to us and you know, I'm sympathetic. I think that sometimes we think there has to be a bigger thing going on when you're just not having fun. That can be bad enough to make everyone stop. You yeah. Know? I think that that's a big thing that people sometimes feel in these groups. It's like, hey, if you were having fun, you don't have to like make, you weren't having fun. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. it. Nobody makes you, nobody makes you explain why you didn't like a movie. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Yeah. I don't want to watch it. I'm done. Let's turn this movie off. I'm bored. That's how life is, too. We both have the same quote. Again, at 1850, you wrote it at 904, uh, about did his father hit him? Yeah, so let's do content warning. Uh, big abuse episode. Uh, yeah, we. So- I, I agree. We already have the like, warning at the beginning, but I do think it's fair to, again, talk about these are going to be very specific, detailed stories that are... There's alcoholism going on here. There's drug use in front of kids. There's homelessness. Uh, abuse. A, a physical abuse, mental, uh, emotional abuse. Like, it's all there. So this is, a, this, is a, this is a big one. I think this and the Peter Nolan ones are ones where uh, there's big many warnings. content warning. warnings. <laughs> there's yeah. many warnings. Because this, this is explicit, is I guess the difference. So go ahead. Uh, when I ask if his, if his dad uh, hit him. I, did your, did your father ever hit you? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, fuck yeah. But uh, was it always my fault? No, what, what would happen was because I was smarter than my brothers, he had a higher standard for me, and I had a higher standard for myself. I don't think At that the same whenever time, a child is hit, it's their fault. Do, do you think that there's something where it's their fault? No, I, I didn't say it was, uh, uh... It, was, it wasn't always my fault. There was like a couple of times where I was being a little shithead and deserved a, and deserved a little bit of a, uh, an ass whooping. 
But most of the time, it was because uh, I embarrassed him. If I did get hit, it was because I embarrassed him. And now, here's, uh, here's his decision-making. Uh, the beating of the child kind of stuff, it, it makes sense when you have a little shit for a child, right? Like, this kid isn't going to get it unless you, like, really put it on him. And uh, he wouldn't do that with the troublemaking sons. He would only do that with, like, the ones who wouldn't meet the social standard. So I have an older brother who's a fucking idiot. He doesn't make any good decisions in his life because his whole childhood went through, uh, you know, making shit decisions that affected him poorly and was never given any consequence for it. Well, I don't know your brother, so but I'm he... talking to you, and I'm so sorry that you would ever get hit for doing anything, especially the way you're saying it. Why someone would take their anger out on you is... Um, it's unforgivable to me, but I know that a lot of people who have been in these situations have a heart even bigger than mine, and I'm sure you are able to move on from that. Well, what I see is uh, people who are thinking with their emotions rather than rationality. If a kid's acting up, causing problems for a bunch of other kids, you can shout at him. You can shout that out of him, actually. You can scare the, you can scare the shit out of him. And by shit, I mean shit attitude. But that's not the case with my father. He only wants to look good in front of other people. So if you you can be a, a stupid dickhead and ruin your life, but you know, so long as that, that's away from him and whoever he wants. Um, it's it's the blue pill. It's, it's uh, how do I put this? It's visuals over uh, integrity. Hmm. You know, it's image over integrity. I, I can't say too much about your situation because I wasn't there, but... Yeah, I mean... Are you think I'm going to talk first? I'm not the eloquent one to make this sound like whatever. <laughs> I did no. I did it there. I'm not going to be able to do it twice, Paulina. I, I can do it. I can do it. Um, so something that is emblematic of abuse is sort of playing it off as if you either deserved it or it wasn't that big of a deal. And I think that this clip is very on the nose in terms of the reaction that people have to their own abuse, if, if it's unprocessed, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, it, it and, and there's a clip later that goes into more specific detail of, of kind of how, how egregious this abuse got, but uh, you can tell that he has not processed any of this mm -hmm. at all. Um, and, and the way that he discusses it kind of, shows us that there is a deeper hurt and he has kind of put a narrative on it, but it isn't a narrative of healing. Um, it, yeah. It's, it's more of a narrative of, and this will be more explicit later, but uh, just sort of like, you know, how when there's one problematic parent, there has to be a savior parent. Um, and it kind of seems like, for lack of a better word, he has ascribed his his father as the good parent e even though evidence obviously points to the contrary it's also this interesting thing where um you know i'll save that for later because i it, it, i want to comment on sort of the first thing we were saying about getting flustered about saying everything as a producer if we're talking about pre-production stuff almost every sentence they say inspires me to get a new expert I don't, under, I mean, this abuse stuff, we might have to get another expert on abuse. 
I mean, yeah. it's the alcoholism stuff that comes up later. It's just like, I, I, I can't. I mean, it's, I'm not talking about these general fact finding interviews we, we do about. I mean, I'm saying this one story, I need an expert. You know what I mean? The one story yeah. later about beer and liquor affecting him differently. I need an expert on just that 30 second clip. And it yeah. shows just how when Paulina before is trying to explain what an emotional thinker is, it shows how flustering this stuff is. Like, I don't know. You know, you know, it's like uh, this is, you know, even the insight you gave me. I'm like, yep, I bet there's more in there. I bet there's more in there that we don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that stuff. And I'm definitely not in any way a, 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 an expert on abuse outside of the info we've gotten here. But it's like, man, it's just so much. The only the only thing I would want to know if, I've, if, if other people have heard this thing, the phrase uh, kicking the dog is what came to mind for me, which was an early way that the abusive cycle was explained to me as like a child. Uh, the idea that some outside force causes one parent to come home, they abuse the other parent, that parent abuses the kids. Maybe that same parent abuses the kid. The kid is left with nowhere to strike out at. And so they kick the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was what I- initially totally came to mind was that he was rationalizing that very, very simple. I mean, I was a kid when I think I was like 11 years old when someone explained that to me so I could understand what it was. Um, and it, it seems as though that's not his way of saying, oh, this is a phenomenon that happens in the world of mental health crises. He's like, that's how it should be. And the dad isn't at fault. He's stupid. Yes. Abused by the mom and therefore has to abuse the kid. Right. Of course he has to. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Is it in this clip that he also says that his dad took the blue pill? So he brings up many times that his dad is a blue pill thinker. Um, We'll play whenever that clip is. We'll play it now. Um, But yeah, he says many times, it's the blue pill. It's the blue pill. I believe he he says it um, when I call him out later um, about explaining it to me. Um, So, uh, but I want to jump to a clip that we both have. So I think we'll get to it again later saying that his dad is, has taken the blue pill, which is, again, okay. is rationalizing for the dad. Um, we, again, oh man, we are spot on with clips. Um, Hallelujah. At 21 seconds, uh, 21 minutes, which I've done in literally every other episode of the show. Sorry, everyone. I say minutes and seconds instead of minutes. Um, he talks about being, I ask him, I say, hey, point blank, you're a victim of abuse. And he says this. You're a victim of abuse. That must be terrible. It's, I can't imagine, especially with a, with a parent, you must want to love them and hate them at the same time. That, that has to be a terrible feeling. Yeah, it's a lot to work through. Um, you know, that alone, in my opinion, without these DSM diagnoses, going to therapy, you know, a therapist cannot prescribe you drugs only a psychiatrist can so a therapist might be a good person to work through because you know that stuff is tough and i'm not the person to be an expert on it or at all and i'm sure you you don't think that (laughs) but uh that alone is worth going to see a therapist and 
might might be a really nice experience for you. Have you ever thought about getting therapy for the abuse? Uh, yeah, kind of, but at the same time, uh, I, like even though all the abuse was there, the worst that came out of it was some poor drinking and driving habits that I never got caught or injured anybody else doing. Thank God. So like, you know, for me, it's like hey, I was able to I was able to power through it. It is just fucking, you know, grab my nuts, lower the shoulder, and run through that wall. It's fine. Fine with it now. If you don't mind me asking. Uh, last time I talked oh, to sorry, me, go ahead. Go ahead. What I was going to say is uh, last time I talked to my father, I was, I was reflecting on all this. And uh, I was just like, oh, you know, there were times when he, like, he was just legitimately, like, sabotaging my progress just to make himself, like, look good. So I fucking called him up and confronted him about that. And him being an emotional thinker, someone who's not interested in, like, the actual story of the thing, he just wants the image of it all to look good, uh, wasn't accepting of all that at all. It's the same stuff that my mom used to say, if you ever get caught doing it, deny, deny, deny. And in his case, he just saw a man who was talking shit to his face. So, it, 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 you can't choose your parents. No, no, you can't. Um... I wanted to point something out here because I think that one of the reasons I think it's important for a man to be in this investigation is that these are negative attributes attributed to men and then they're blown out. It is not that men are the only ones that can have them. Women can, I believe, have toxic masculinity as well. Women can be in MGTOW and there certainly are people getting trapped in these hashtag cults. But I think this really points out why toxic masculinity fits as a word. Men, as a stereotype, are considered the more emotional person. Men? Uh, the more, excuse me, the more competitive person. I didn't mean emotional. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading a note at the same time. Somehow, it, it isn't, he didn't have anything bad in his life from the abuse, except that he drinks and drives. And he's now beyond the emotional thinking. And the story with the football is really important to me as knowing male stereotypes. And I do, I don't want to say that I gender bend, but I don't fit in a lot of male stereotypes. And I'm not competitive. Reens is the competitive one. I am not. I like losing and just playing games with my friends. But like, <laughs> men are more competitive. So how does this all get, how does this, 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 this football story, before we get back to the drinking and driving and, 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 the emotional thinking being the emotional thinking being the bad thing, which he talks about in here. Men are often considered more competitive. So it's not emotional that he's upset by competition. That's what you do around competition because that's a normalized male behavior as opposed to me as a man when I'm around competitive guys and I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> just relax. Uh, I wanted to throw that in there right there because it, it really is that men should be fixing this. We should be confronting other men and saying, not in a mean way, in the way that I might do it here with Tom, and saying, like, it's okay to not be competitive. We can just fucking chill. Uh, yeah. I wanted to throw that in there. Let's talk about how somehow it, he's had no effect from the drinking and driving, except, except no effect from the abuse, except for drinking and driving. Yeah, that's a big effect. <laughs> 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 I really thought there was going to be more insight, but you're right. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, I, you know, he, the way he talks about it, you want to believe that it's under control. You want to mm -hmm. believe that he, he, he's got his narrative. He's, you know, he's very, um, 
even keeled throughout this entire interview. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from what I've watched, he doesn't break. He doesn't even really flinch when he's telling you very painful things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he does explicitly say that, like, alcohol does mask negative feelings. That like he was using it to mask negative feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he does say, you know, um, eventually he never did get in trouble. He didn't get caught, right? But he did do something. And that's part of the mantra that his mother taught him. If you ever get caught doing it, you deny, 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 right? Like, he never even had to get into the position to deny because he was never caught. Yeah. Um, Which, as Randy Flood and the, the, the Flood the Junior points out to us, uh, that is the number one reason men are sent to these uh, resource centers, especially at the uh, Michigan Men's Resource Center. Court order. Really? Yeah. Court Court order. Most people don't walk in there voluntarily for help. Men have a problem. There is a clear problem going on right now of men getting therapy. Yeah. It's, it's a big issue way beyond the scope of us, but it is, it is definitely a part of this. It's a small part of what's, of what's going on here. And I, I, thought it, I, I thought you were going to bring up another thing, which is the emotional thinking thing again. He intuits his father's bad feelings. He really is an emotional thinker. And he does break a little bit later on. He, he wants to break. Remember, he's bu- as a cult member, he's building up to what Hoyt was talking about, about these speeches to, to confront me. And the reason I'm getting away, quite frankly, with some of this early stuff is because he thinks it's irrelevant. In my opinion, Tom does not see any of this as relevant. So it's not a big deal to talk about. And sometimes in your own right. life, I've had people where you're talking to them about something casually and, and you're kind of like, oh my God, how was that? And they kind of brush it off. And it's not that they're even keeled. It's that maybe there's a block going on. And then sometimes they're talking about something casually and you think they do have a fun attitude about it. And then they start crying. You know, yeah. you often see that with wakes and funerals. You're having fun and then someone just gets upset. So the, 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 the effect wears off. The, the ability to ignore it wears off. Um, it's or shivas. I'm sorry. I forgot the us people. Okay. Don't at me. Um, but, but at me, I do want to know who was upset. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but yeah, he, he doesn't, he thinks this is all about me that I'm going to pull him up there and I'm going to get him. But I get away with a lot being just kind and asking him about this stuff. He doesn't think the fight has started yet. So he'll divulge it later. When I get into his views on women, the emotions do go up. Interesting. I have a note here. This is a side note that we could potentially cut out. Ooh. The visuals over integrity. What was that? Okay. So he says that a few times. Well, we definitely don't want to cut this out. So okay. uh, the idea of blue pill people to their mind, in his mind, especially Tom, which I want to say, the one of the things about MGTOW and red pill is that you are isolated. And so a lot of it models this Norwegian terrorist who talked about the single cell. Uh, In other words, like a terrorist cell, but you're a single cell. And you see a lot of them researching that. Of course, in Chris Hassan, the the MGTOW who was modifying his own weapons and uh, uh, doing body enhancing drugs, uh, who was at the same time serving in the Coast Guard. Um, He was researching this single cell terrorist model. 
to what it means to Tom, what red pill means to Tom is only relevant if someone says something in contrary to what he's saying. Otherwise, people mostly agree about this vitriol, except in infighting when they need to establish stuff. To Tom, one of the things that blue pill represents is the idea that his dad wanted to look better than him rather than doing the nice thing for his kid. That that's mm. part of his blue pill thing. That what makes him think emotionally, what makes emotional thinkers think is that they, they want to, to look good in front of people, right? Which is mm. interesting because when we normally think of overly emotional people, we actually think of the people who look worse. We actually usually think of the cold people, the emotionless people who, who you know, are reality star people that get the good edit, that they are, they are changing the story, they're doing the right thing, they're saying the right stuff so that they look good. But to Tom, the blue pill means, ah, you go on these emotions and so you want to look better. You become embarrassed and so you want to look better. That's what he's saying his version of the red pill and the blue pill are. He's not enlightened. He can't be calm about it. He has to look good. Mm. Appearances are everything. According to this. Um, yeah. Um, I want to, I, I have a note that you don't have. Ooh, or do you? Or do you? Or do you? Do I? Well, you have, uh, you have his mom's line. If you get caught, um, don't say it. But let's play that. Uh, that's part of this clip. Let's play this clip when I ask him about whether he's gone and gotten over some of the things that he's going through research some of the things he's going through you seem really well read have you ever read about the cycle of abuse or anything like that nah <laughs> just no why not <laughs> uh, i got better i have better things to read there, there are more entertaining and other things that i could be doing with my time than looking backwards he says quote i have better things to do with my time so aside from the quote of if you get caught deny it They've also heard in that clip, um, better things to do with my time. Yet, remember everyone, instead of dealing with the abuse, he was commenting like a ton on a YouTube video that we made about MGTOW. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tom. And I know that we're, we're, we're putting a lot on these subjects to, to you know, it's confrontational saying go to therapy. And it's tough to hear probably for him. And for other people to hear who probably also, we all can deny when we need help. It's a part of human nature. But I don't think that commenting on our YouTube, and it's not just because it's me. I think that if you have some abuse you haven't dealt with and you're commenting on YouTube, I don't think that's a better thing to do. Yeah. I, I think you have to confront people on those things. I don't think you're, I don't think you have better things to do. And that's one of the things with MGTOWs they claim. Oh, you know, one of our comments was, I bang all these hookers every night and have three Ferraris. Then why are you commenting on our, we're not a particularly big channel, guys. We may, we allowed me and Rini's very small, our producer, Rini, our very small YouTube channel to be taken over by this so that we could see how they reacted for the movie. We're not like, it's not like millions of views. Everyone in the world is talking about our investigation. I don't think that you are finding a video with less than 25 views and commenting about your Ferraris and hookers if you have Ferraris and hookers. Yeah. I don't think you're spending your, even if, and if you have Ferraris and hookers, go do that instead of the YouTube thing. 
I mean, it's ironic because the idea of visuals over integrity, right? Commenting on a YouTube video is only about visuals. Mm-hmm. And where is the integrity of commenting all these presumably fake things in your life? Where is the integrity in that? Yeah. And I think to, to, as well as visuals, we've pointed out that YouTube and Twitter and possibly all these places and people get people do get doxxed because of something horrible they said on the internet like that is a thing sometimes someone does some research and shows you know this person is against vaccines or whatever and uh that's interesting to do from a forensic cyber standpoint to find these secrets that people hide but the reason they can do that is because a lot of people don't realize that it is views it is seen it is published it is permanent and uh i don't think MGTOWs view it in terms to, to answer visuals over integrity. I don't think they view it as being seen. Well, that's probably because there aren't very many people that actually respond. You know, I think that we're, we're, (laughs) our endeavor is a very distinct, uh, kind of congruent to the, the norm, you know, like usually people would see that and be like, I'm going to go the other way. And we're like, hi, can we talk to you? (laughs) Hi, do you need help? (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's talk. I have one that you don't have, which um, is at 24 minutes, 18 seconds, where he says during drinking, he can't stop thinking and that he mm. thinks a lot or that he's able to keep thinking. I'm permanently curious. So uh, I can't I can't get out of thinking like when I'm drunk off beer, I'm still thinking uh, I don't drink liquor, so I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, so it's always, there's always something What's, to reflect I, I on. I've been on a shitload of long drives. There's always something to reflect. Beer and liquor. Uh, it's just how, how, it's an, it's a, it's a thing. Like, Poison with uh, chemical properties that affects your body differently. Everybody is affected differently by it. With beer, I can, uh, I can stay coherent through, uh, oh man, what did I do? Man, I was hanging out with a friend one time and I powered through like 11 tall cans, not tall cans, 11 16 ounce cans of Miller High Life. I sat in one place, drank 11 pounds of beer and talked shit and watched wrestling with a friend. And that was a, that was a pretty good time or whatever. But I could do that and still be relatively coherent. Most people can't sit in one place and drink 11 shots of, of, of their poison and uh, kind of make it out coherently. You know what I'm saying? Beer? I know. I know. To be what honest, I really know. This is where the pseudoscience in terms of alcoholism starts to kick up to a large degree. And we don't want to play these clips and people think like, whoa, this is crazy. We know. Um, and I'm not going to, you're not going to hear any clip of me really slamming him about it. I will call him out on it later though. Two interesting points there. Can't stop thinking even when drunk is an interesting skill in his mind. It, to me, with someone with OCD, it sort of implies, you know, the inability to relax. Uh, when my OCD was terrible, I would have dreams where I would get up and do a day's, a day's work. And then wake up and and wake up from that dream that wasn't real and be annoyed that I had cleaned my house. I had done errands and things like that in the dream because I was so fastidious, even unconsciously. Yeah, I, I relate to the idea of like in college before I was medicated, I would self-medicate for sure. And so I definitely felt compassion and empathy for him uh, when I heard that. 
you know, it's it's a lot to not be able to turn off your thoughts. And, you know, alcohol is a is a I almost said free. It's not free. Um, well, it's a legal option. <laughs> the streets running with beer. Um, <laughs> and so were you, were you, who was that? <laughs> <laughs> the old timey mayor. <laughs> I don't know. It's the first time he came out. You're calling the Powerpuff Girls. <laughs> I love that character. I want, I want him back. What is? What? The streets Here's running a- with me. <laughs> Get me the chief of police. <laughs> the Powerpuff Girls save the day. Um, but yes, I feel a lot of empathy for him. I it's 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 a difficult uh predicament to be stuck in with a thinking brain that won't stop, you know? I I feel a lot of empathy for him. There's also the interesting element that I've talked about at length, which are the psychonauts, which um were people who believed that by taking things that inhibited your brain, you could reach enlightenment. Um, And it's interesting, he sort of echoes these thoughts here, but yet he is not of the psychonauts mind, which is to say that perhaps by changing the, the brain, it will give it another point of view. Perhaps that it being affected for the worse, you know what I mean? The effects to your body and all these different things for the worse may give you a perspective that is worth perhaps one day reaching enlightenment, which was the psychonauts idea was that Mm -hmm. no matter the effect, there might be something, if it can alter your brain so drastically, perhaps there's something we can learn there. Um, A pretty dangerous theory to talk about in the realms of alcohol, to be honest. But Mm -hmm. it was interesting to hear him say that simultaneously he, and this is the effect of MGTOW is the changing of the narrative and that everything is good and everything is positive in your building of your character and that your mistakes are not mistakes. Somehow he simultaneously has alcoholism while at the same time has the powers of a psychonaut. He's, and while at the same time also being not a very good psychonaut because the psychonaut would want their brain affected. Um, he's not affected by it, but somehow it's not alcoholism, but he is affected by it differently. It's this mm-hmm. big back and forth that builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And it's this cycle that he actually sort of explains in a later episode of each thing has to outdo the other in, their, in this cult's mind. So he wasn't alcoholic. He has a superpower. Ah, but he, it is, he is an alcoholic. And so he conquered it, hence another superpower. So then he can actually still use his superpower, which is still alcoholism. And now he's beyond it. He's enlightened. And this outdoing your own mind is a big part of how they think. And this back and forth and sort of escalating towards enlightenment, tricking yourself that you're enlightened and you know everything, is a, is a really easy way to view everything they do. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. There's no, there's no margin for error, you know? Everything is, is a triumph. Yes. That's a totally great way to say it. Everything is somehow a triumph while at the same time a deception by someone else and while at the same time a mistake. It's, it's a very odd way to self-brainwash. It's a great way to say it. Yeah. I, um, I mean, again, it, just, it, it all just feels very unprocessed. Yeah. And speaking of unprocessing, let's go at – let's actually play the self-medicating uh, clip that, that uh, was affected by Paulina and – 
uh, play minute 25, we have the same clip. 2530, according to Paulina, we'll go with her, mem- her numbers. <laughs> self-medication. Beer was a self, was a medication of choice. That's how I fell into the alcoholism in the first place. Because uh, right around the time when I started working as a teenager, just about all that money went to partying. So I could lose whatever the hell was causing all the bad feelings. And as, uh, as my body worked itself into a, a tolerance and then a strength towards uh, that particular product, which is beer or lager, uh, you know, it just doesn't affect you the same way anymore. At that, like, as an adult, I could, you know, walk around and drink a beer or several and just not look like I'm, like, trash or messed up and still read. Like, I, uh, I, got, a, uh, I got a mechanics license that I studied for at bars. Like, I was just drinking and studying for a mechanics license. I did really well on the test. It's great. So, like, it's, it's just about, I'm just one of those guys who has, uh, you know, like someone, I was just watching John McAfee on uh, what is it, Keith Woods or something like that. I've never heard of either. And uh, someone in the comments of... I've never know? heard of either of those things. Someone in the com- You've never heard of John McAfee? No, I don't know who it is. John McAfee, the, the McAfee antivirus software guy? Oh, yeah. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know him by name. shot somebody in, like, yeah. some island? I know his exploits. <laughs> that, that guy's he's, story is he's weird. He's, like, uh, a little bit paranoid now. Uh, possibly yeah, made some, up. Yeah, someone described that he's a... Uh, someone described him as a uh, high-functioning meth addict or amphetamine addict. Mm. And uh, that's exactly what that type of guy would do. He would be a high-functioning, if he wanted to be an addict, a high-functioning addict of whatever his poison that he chose was. And that's all I was with beer. So you don't drink beer anymore? High-functioning beer guy. You, you, I'm sort of trying to get... I'm getting different answers. It's it's complex. Um, What's the most you've drank in the last six months? Beer? In one sitting? Oh, oh, in one sitting? I don't know, like five or six. Okay. Yeah, it's like a six-pack, you know, for like... Sitting, sitting around. And, and you don't deal. feel uh, violent or anything like that? You don't feel like you're spiraling in any way in your life? No. Like, because, I, like I said, that same poison that, that causes so much disaster for other people, I was able to kind of judo that into a strength for myself. And, you know, it, it calms me down. Someone once distri- uh, described it as it's a... It's a drug. Like I am high when I drink beer. I'm not drunk. I'm high. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in like a headspace. The same way someone taking a Ritalin or Adderall is high, but you know they're they're in that zone. That's what I would use it for. As a musician, like it's uh, it's it's not uncommon to drink quite a few beers before you get on stage or in the recording studio in order to be loose enough and be in the right headspace. Uh, I don't know if you're aware sublime. of this. But- Alcohol does affect alcoholics generally differently. Did you know about that? Yeah. Um, I, I know you were talking about the self-medicating. Um, I, I felt this indicated something really interesting about MGDOWs. He's explaining everything to me. Like he explains blue pill earlier. And this thing too. He explains things to me in this way that we've said before, as if I don't get it. 
as if I'm some peon. And I don't, I don't hold it against him. But the way he talks to me is like, how do I say this? You know, how do I explain this to you? How can I get this to get to you? And this is not Tom. This is MGTOW affecting Tom. Because I think that anything negative you can say about, about Tom before MGTOW, MGTOW is blowing out his negative attributes. Yeah. His alcoholism, like, for example, he says it's described by others. It's like, it's, it's like a glorifying. His, his ability to drink beer, he talks about it being a drug. It's described by others. It's like a J.D. Power and Associates car award. It's like, the, it's been called the smoothest tough ride. It's like, <laughs> it's not, and, it, and it's not that I'm in the same living in, and we talked about in the Matrix episode extensively about your non-uniqueness of your identity and the things that don't make you unique. It's like I don't live in the same world as him with alcohol and alcoholism and beer and cars. To him, it's like, oh, you're just not from my world where I drink and drive and I'm better at driving. Right. You, you know, let me explain it to you. And it's the same with Blue Pill. It's like, how do I get this through to you? You know, and I don't think that that's Tom. I don't think that's codename Tom. I think that that's MGTOW saying other people will just not get anything about you. And they probably don't want you to drink and drive, but you're enlightened. And so, you know, I've seen people go down before and I've seen people, oh, they, they just don't, they just don't get it. You know, it's just- it's it's interesting that the entire mantra he lives by is like, if you get caught do, doing something, deny, deny, deny. But here he is blatantly sharing every kind of misdeed well, that he's ever performed. He definitely thinks he's done good. The accomplishment is that he never got caught, which is a, 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 a thing that Joe from Ixa really explained. He's a consultant to, to Mixa. Yeah, it really explained to me well, which is the, the, the liar the scammer sees the getting away with the scam as God's providence, that I was the stupid one. The cops were the stupid one for not catching me. Uh, if I scam you in a deal, if I, if I negotiate for prices and you don't know that this egg is not $25, I was good because you were stupid. You weren't having your wits about you. It, 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 he's sort of saying with the deny, deny, deny that that's what his dad does. His dad won't confront anything. Mm-hmm. To him, he's saying... I got away with it. He actually doesn't see. And I don't want this to just be like backseat psychologisting for Tom. I'm trying to explain how this gets into MGTOW. He, like Paulina says, he admits every single bad thing he does because he doesn't think it's a weapon against him because I'm not calling him out on every single thing he does. And yet he's illustrating perfectly for us how MGTOW gets people to see their mistakes as good. And not in that way where we all feel as though we make mistakes constantly. We are all constantly and, con- and definitely every one of us is thinking about interactions we had in first grade that we want to go back and change. But in the way that like, no, like I'm here now, so I must have done good. Right. It, that's MGTOW. Hmm. I have a clip that you sort of skipped over. I, uh, it's a quick, quick one. Uh, 29 minutes. I have a lot of hours drinking and driving. I think this clip speaks for itself. But a lot of hours drinking and driving. Yeah, I have a lot of I have a lot of hours drinking and driving because it's like you said, it affects people differently. Where other people would crash, uh, it put me in in the zone. I was like, okay, I can I can do this, and it's, so long as I wasn't too far over the edge, and sometimes I was, uh, the driving skill would surpass the the drunkenness. You're aware that to many people that sounds. You know, it, it sounds dangerous. You know, you know how that oh, comes like off. Like I said, right? no, it's it, it's. 
Oh, yeah, I'm an asshole, for sure. But, like, I'm a complex case. Don't anybody ever follow me. When people try to do the things that I do, I've seen them mess. I've seen careers ruined just because someone thought they could do something that I would do and that I might get away with. And, like, bro, you're not me. Don't You don't think the way I do. You don't see the world the way I do. Don't make my mistakes. And other people will try and fail. I've seen it happen on a number of occasions. I am, I am the downfall of several dudes. Uh, says everything in my opinion yeah that's rough that's a rough one and I have a lot to say about this next thing and I'm guessing Paulina does too even though we wrote terse notes but we both have the same note which is toxic personality at 30 minutes possible. you were possibly a toxic personality kinda... to this person to, yeah to an extent because uh, these are also people who like working with them you know I'm not a toxic uh, you know what yeah let's just go with that Let's just go with that because it all, I think it that all takes makes a lot sense of maturity the DSM five thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, all of it. It will just say that I'm a I'm a toxic personality. Um, On Overwatch, yeah, I, I got that a lot. <laughs> I, you know, it's interesting. I kind of felt like he kind of views himself as like the antihero in a certain way. Yeah, like Why do it you was say kind that? of like. Because it was kind of like, don't follow me. Mm-hmm. I've I've done this before, you know? And, you know, it's sad. People have followed me and fallen, but not me. I've, stand, I've stood up and, and I, can, I can withstand it. Um, there's this sort of, again, it's the, it's the triumph of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I triumphed in this and, and, you know, don't follow me in my footsteps because I, I'm the only one who can walk this path. Is sort of the sense I got. Mm-hmm. And 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 are are you seeing as I sort of explain these MGTOW people over and over again how that's like that's the that's the cult? Oh yeah, for sure. He covers it up with humor, and in the end, he's willing to accept the title so long as it makes him a a better, more enlightened person. He he's the man who has to be a bad guy. He's just gotta be, you know. I'm so curious as to what he's referring to and who he's referring to. I mean, likely, in my opinion, uh, he talks in, uh, we're not going to hear it in the next few episodes, but much later down the line, he talks about being around bad people. They probably drank and drive, and he's a little bit now with the, the MGTOW narrative. And alcoholism too, which is a very, it's a very interesting case here. I'm sure there's somebody who's an expert on alcoholism going like, yeah, these things are mixing. Don't mix them too much. But the MGTOW narrative always says like, you know, now I was, I was wise and it was all because of me and my thing and my ability and it centers around me. People were judging me and I overcame even though they have no confirmation in real life. Mm. Um, I just imagine people got caught drinking and driving and someone may have made a comment at one point like, oh, I, I don't know. You drove home. I thought I could drive home. We're, mm-hmm. We weigh the same. You know, the narcissist and cult people really do think everything's about them. So I, I am using it a little bit clinically here. Everything's about them. The comment yeah. couldn't have just been a joke. It, w- it was about them. It was that they influenced the person. Um, I, I The thing I wanted to talk about here as well, because you mostly got all my thoughts on that, was it's possible to criticize someone if they feel heard. Like, this is how you do it, Internet. I called him a toxic person to his face. 
nothing bad happened. He didn't act the way he acted in the comments. Yeah. It's possible. Well, that's because people act differently when it's a face-to-face conversation versus a comment behind a screen. You know, the anonymity allows people to unleash in a way that they never would in everyday life. And that's not like a new take, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 well understood at this point. As a writer, I wanted to ask you. I'm not the mm-hmm. writer, everyone. Uh, as a writer, don't know how to spell inseparable. Um, <laughs> do you don't? Don't know how. At it's me. A hard I word. want to know. Um, so... <laughs> um, do you feel that some of some and uh, of the blame with these groups is on the, the the part of us as being not outside of the cult and that they don't understand how tone reflects without using your voice? Mm. Ask me that question again because Do I'm confused you, as to what you mean. Because in the comments, right? Yes. Some of the some of the things that someone could say, perhaps if they were said calmer, some of them, not all of them, some of them, you know, Peter, yeah. all, a lot of MGTOWs, including Tom and Peter Nolan, managed to say disgusting things with a calm face. But I think in general, do you think and we've talked about how they're sort of unaware of certain social ideas and mm-hmm. it, they've been called like. Uh, unsocial in a lot of ways. Anti-human is, I think, one of the phrases someone criticized MGTOW as. Do you think they don't realize that, like, no one knows the tone of how you write something if you don't, if you aren't a good writer? Oh, yeah. I mean, tone, I mean, think about texting, right? Like, one of my best friends, she always uses periods at the end of her sentence because she uses grammar. But every time she uses a period, I'm convinced she's mad at me. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and it's it's so it's the smallest things and it's so personal, right? It's about how you read, how you interpret. And tone is something that is very hard to have command over, specifically in written format, um, because it's emblematic of your voice, right? And if you're just going off in a comment section, you're probably not really concerned about voice or tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be read in so many different ways. And that's kind of, you know, the the sort of uh, powerlessness of, of publishing anything. Mm-hmm. You never know how people are going to encounter your words. Yeah. Um, how do you achieve then, yeah. joviality? I mean, you, you, are, you come off so funny. And when you want to come off serious, you come off so serious. I mean, what are things that you do to achieve? You know, when I read one of your pieces, I know when it's funny. I know I think it's a really strong element of your writing. I know when we're having fun. And I know when it's like, no, F off. This is a real thing. Well, thank you. Like, I appreciate that. How do you achieve that? I mean, for people listening right now who are like everybody, I mean, nothing is worse from the standpoint of script writing too. When you hand someone a script and they are moved by it and you're like, no, it's funny. Yeah. (sighs) It actually, it started in grad school because um, I had just done Second City. And so I was, you know doing comedy and uh part of my comedic voice was saying really dark things and then smiling (laughs) and so like i'm you know cute girl so like saying dark things and then smiling there's there's contrast there um whereas when i would say dark things on the page i wasn't there smiling Mm. and so i kind of learned how to 
hone my voice in my written uh my written material so that for lack of a better way of saying it like when i wanted people to laugh everything that i said was said with a smile mm-hmm. um and and it's humor is one of the hardest things to do specifically in essay form mm-hmm. because you only have <laughs> words um but i think you know it comes it's it's voice is so distinct that it's 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 a lot of trial and error um, and it's a process. It's a huge process. It's a years-long process to figure out how to get your voice on the page. Um, and so for me, uh, you know, I think my voice is distinct in that there's there's a twinge of, of humor in what I do. But that's, you know, <laughs> it took a long time to figure out how to do that. So, like, you know, sounding off in a, a comment is different than writing an essay and but the, that being said, like you know, if you have command over your voice, you can, you can do it all. Um, if you want the real tricks and tips, you'll have to sign up for one of her classes. Apparently, yes, she's just talking generally. <laughs> Give me the tips and tricks. Just tell me to put a smiley face at the end, Paulina. I get it. Save it for the Honestly, class. People pay money the, for it. Moving on. Every class at the end of every sentence, you just have to put LOL. That's LOL. All. That's what's great about Dave Barry. LOL, all the LOLs he uses. Okay. Who's Dave Barry? Dave Brimbus. Here we go. Uh, At 31 minutes, this thing happens about his dad being neglectful. What was the worst abuses put upon you by your dad? Do you mind sharing that? I think that would be pretty powerful to... My dad wasn't... He wasn't the most abusive. He's he's just uh, neglectful. He didn't quite understand... You don't think striking the, uh, you? Did he ever beat you things. within an inch of your life? No, I once uh, I once shit my pants uh, at the apartment there. He had a friend over, and I guess we all kind of ate something bad because his friend was in the bathroom for like forever. And I'm over here trying to take a shit, shit my pants, and then I got beat for that. That was a stupid reason to get beat, because like, why is your friend in the bathroom for 45 minutes? And you can tell that I have to take, like, a shit. You can tell this is all going to go very poorly. And then, you know, how, how like, you fucking crack yourself. And again, that was, I don't know, dude. I was young. I was, I was really, I was, like, eight or nine. It sounds incredibly traumatic. You know, Freud talks a lot about our relationship with going to the bathroom and our parents. That sounds like an incredibly traumatic incident, if that's one to name a few. Uh, rough. Yeah, it's devastating. It's just it's just rough. And then to point out that you know, how that how even one part of that story is bad. And then to point out something, you know, in my opinion, I don't think Freud or anyone in psychology is the be all end all of understanding things. But I think that being someone who believes they are some sort of expert in their mind and can diagnose themselves from the DSM, not hearing that story and not being like, Oh, like that's one of the worst things you can do Mm -hmm. is like, again, it shows why I'm getting to ask this stuff because he doesn't know about Freud because he's just mimicking people because they don't know about Freud. He doesn't see that as a horrifying story to be reprimanded for being incontinent. 
in some way, whether it was willful or not, or because of circumstances, he doesn't hear that as like really a damaging thing. Again, it's, it's all very unprocessed. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's the best, that's the best way to say it. Um, Paulina has a note at 32 minutes, but I don't know what it says. It's done. So the cycle of abuse sort of sadly says that your dad was probably also abused. Do you know anything about his childhood? Uh, his dad was a druggie. Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe he was abusive towards my grandma. And my grandma was, uh, you know, she, she was a boomer. <laughs> Excuse me. She was a boomer. She, uh, you know, all emotion. No. Uh, no. <laughs> it was a tan uh, It says, cycle of abuse, dad was a druggie, boomer, emotional thinker. Yeah, I think he misspeaks here about dad being a druggie. I'm not really sure because he later says that dad wasn't a druggie. I think he's talking about his, his, his mom and grandma were druggies. It's, mm. it's very unclear who he's talking about. People will hear it in the clip and see if they can catch it. Um, yeah, the boomer thing. Uh, I also am going to cut out a segment where there's some confusing math about who is the boomer. That's the other element of it. His grandma, as he described, is not in the boomer generation um, based on his age range. So I was really confused about about what this. What did you think of boomer? Let's assume that what he's saying about a dad being a druggie and boomer is true. Just to have a discussion about it. But I found the math confusing. I just like just the phrase. OK, boomer. Mm -hmm. Just like there is uh, Rachel Bernstein talked about um, plot obliterating cliches mm -hmm. um, and that a cliche kind of once you hear it, you kind of cease to think about it because you've heard it before. So there's no reason to think about it cl critically. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same thing exists for boomers. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm going to. The phrase there we boomers? Go, defending boomers. Yeah, the it's phrase, just kind of like boomers or boomers. Yeah, themselves. just the phrase boomers. Yeah. Like, we're supposed to understand something. That's supposed to be a sense of camaraderie because he said, oh, she's a boomer, right? I'm supposed to immediately be like, oh, yeah, she's a boomer, you know, as if that's going to explain anything. Mm -hmm. um, and he he kind of pairs it up with the emotional thinking, right? That boomers are emotional thinkers, which, I, you know... I, I guess they are. I don't know. I mean, I don't know who, who qualifies as an emotional thinker or not. You know, on Star Trek, when they ask a computer a logical fallacy and it explodes, that's what this word emotional thinker is doing to Paulina. It really is. It genuinely I, makes no sense. It, it's, it's very frustrating to me because aren't we all different types of thinkers at different times? Like no one is purely just a hundred percent rational all the time or purely emotional a hundred percent of the time. And he seems to be an emotional thinker. One would think that, that if we go back to the matrix again, that the non-emotional thinker is like Spock or data or, or Neo. They don't get, did all those nerd references help anyone that's never seen those? No. Good. It's a nerd's <laughs> world. Everyone else get out. Um, <laughs> You would think that that's what he's talking about is like, I'm the emotional thinker. I, I, I'm i the non-emotional thinker. I don't think with my emotions in a situation. But in fact, he's being quite emotional. He's considering how people are feeling in the moment. He's he's taking the time to see, ah, they're feeling this way. He's, he's understanding their emotions, if that's what he's doing, if that's what he's purported to doing. 
it's incongruent is the main thing that we're saying all over the place is either you don't get emotions and you ignore them or they're occupying a large amount of your head, you know? Yeah. Um, I also think that I, I would love to know, just coming to the end of the episode, this could be a, a fun place to stop. Uh, co-opting comedy is a really interesting element of their group. When I call him a toxic person, he constantly is making jokes about Overwatch. Uh, you know, I called him a toxic person, so it's like a it's like a ranking thing in Overwatch um, without getting into nerd stuff. Because get out, nerds world. Uh, but like, they use comedy a lot, and that's because it's a really great way to deflect. If you haven't tried it, give it a swing. But like, what do you? Oh, think it diffuses of- any situation. And that's what he's doing with Boomer. Right, right, right. I mean, humor humor is an excellent tool when deployed appropriately. Um, you, you can tell that he's using humor to deflect from, from telling painful things. But he mm-hmm. seems to tell them with, with, with asta- astounding clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a tension diffuser. You know, a, a well-deployed joke can disarm somebody and change a topic and change a mood. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that he's funny, though. You know, I no. wouldn't say that this he's a funny dude. Um, this goes back but, to your 30 Rock thing. Right. It's, it's you know, regurgitate. Um but humor is accessible to everybody, I think. And, you know, you don't necessarily need to be funny to make a joke. And jokes... <laughs> That's a pillow. <laughs> yeah. Buy it at my store. Um, Should we, though? That's not a bad idea. Honestly, because uh, take the red nacho or the blue nacho is like internet <laughs> Also, everyone, I'm throwing this out there. Okay. I lived near Salem, Massachusetts for a while. Um would everyone who's a fan of the show buy t-shirts that say boss witch boss witch yeah that's pretty great right we'll workshop it <laughs> paulina between this and cool ranch your enthusiasm is killing me um yeah so so not every sorry you were saying not every not every you don't need to be funny to make a joke which honestly like that is a poster it i mean there's two ways to be funny subvert any and all expectations or say things that people recognize uh and okay boomer is something that we recognize right and it's it's part of the cultural vernacular right now Mm -hmm. um and so it kind of it's it's like a like a a humor bomb you throw it in and it explodes and then you you look through the rubble and it's like where are we now you know and you know it doesn't diffuse in the same way that that he wants it to because you're like wait <laughs> how old is she you know yeah. like you were like wait can we how get can more specific grandma, I'll, like i'll just say the the in like his grandma is in her 90s she's not a boomer they're the greatest generation right yeah so it made no it, it, whatever but on that same note i'll tell you something because virtue signaling is always talked about but i have a more devious thing in terms of humor that i want to talk to you about we've talked about it I'm before ready. but let's end on this y'all's culture y'all's culture y'all's oh yes like no, yas? Excuse, excuse me y'all's 
Yaws Queen and Yaws. I I feel like you're talking about the birth control Yaws. I am. Remember those commercials? They were always like at dinner. Um, <laughs> Yaws. Yaws. They were called. I birth love control. talking about my birth control at dinner. Uh, <laughs> 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 um. Uh. We'll get into, let's do a whole episode of reviewing birth control commercials because those are fun. Uh, but let, I have this theory about y'all's culture, which is someone says something. And I think it's in the same way that MGTOWs operate with humor, which is they say, you know, no boomer, you know, oh, she's a boomer or all women are like that. Or like, you know, they have these phrases that click more and more and they make more isolating phrases as they go. But you see, he keeps trying to, diffuse humor with humor that he thinks is generic and to get mm. away from it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's, it's not, it's not funny. It's to say like, Oh man, like, yeah. And then I'm done. And it's this interesting thing. It's like getting away from it. It's like suddenly I have to comment on the most recent thing instead of they really do think I'll forget. Which right. Is a, a characteristic of them. I think that Yaw's culture is the impetus of some of these things about these comedy bombs you're talking about where somebody says something, and you believe they're enlightened. You believe they're woke. And then someone goes, Yaws. And because we don't, because we love people agreeing with us, we don't go, hey, do you know exactly what I mean by that? Do you know exactly yeah. what I mean by you? And it's often with political statements and, 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 and statements of, you know, good things. But hey, do you know exactly what I mean by that? One of, one of my comedy heroes, uh, uh, Todd Glass, calls it the, the, the 90% people. That those are the biggest problems. He says that like when using slurs and, and, and hitting kids and all these different things, it's these 90% people that can sound like, oh, I get it. But if you investigate, if you peel back, you're like, no, you have like 10%. And that 10% that's shit is going to keep going forward into the world. And so it's like with y'all's culture, which I think is the inverse of it's just saying boomer, is like, oh, y'alls like i get it but do you actually get it and, mm, and that's like mm-hmm. a huge issue in my opinion because i will sometimes say something and someone like i know paulina you and i've known you for a while so when you say y'alls because usually it's about something we've done with this project i know what you mean by y'alls but <laughs> the problem is is that you can't just use y'alls as a thing if you're saying a ser- and i'm and this is for both people involved if you say something serious on the internet or anywhere, if you publish something serious and someone's comment is yas, that's degrading to your bravery. That's degrading to you saying something like bold and serious to make a change in the world. And then someone be like, yeah, totally, whatever, I get it. Do you want nachos? Like, it's like, it's like, whatever, I get it already. You could say something meaningful and be like, I agree with you X. And then they disagree with you. That's discourse. And I think that there's this whole thing with censorship and discourse. And it's like, um... Yeah, but where's the discourse when there is no censorship? When we're allowed to talk mm. about anything? And that mm. is yaws to me. It's like, you're allowed to say anything. I said it on your dad's live stream. Tell me, type a slur into the word, into this chat, and I'll say it out loud. I don't believe in censorship in the way that you, like, I'll show you that I can believe in censorship in the right way if that's really what it's about. I think this Agree Festival is worse censorship where we're censoring ourselves instead of asking questions and mm. being like, yes, I agree. What do you think about this thing? Or yes, I agree, kinda. Mm, hmm Like that is the danger of y'all. 
I wish I had counted how many times you said Yas. If you write in Yas, how many different free, ways? you'll get my Boss Witch t-shirt. <laughs> if you get the number correct, I will send you a custom. I'll make a, I'll, I'll do a print of it. I'll do it like, like, a, like an actual, like acrylic print shirt. It'll be awesome. I do art. It'll be so cool. We'll, we'll put Gerald from our, from our, from our cult Gerald. sketch on it. Gerald's really cute. And you'll get a t-shirt that says Boss Witch with a little Gerald on it. I want one. <laughs> I'm making the Boss Witch shirts. <laughs> I feel okay. S- fine. Ah. <sighs> Rini's going to be disappointed to hear you didn't like it. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I but you don't live Rini there anymore. I don't. I don't. But, but everyone can be a witch and everyone can be a boss witch. Well, we'll work on it. What don't you like about it? I just, you know, in terms of the work that we're doing, we're not doing witch stuff. And we're not in Boston. So I guess... You know. Yeah, yeah. It's totally unrelated and irrelevant to our project. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> duh, <laughs> duh, I get that. Oh, God. But just let me be totally off the rails. Don't keep us in check at all. Obviously, I have to just go along with whatever harebrained idea. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm i usually the one that's going off the rails, so it, we needed a little bit of role reversal. Yeah. And this helped. This helped for the exercise. And I like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next week, we are going to get back into to to Tom. Okay, so so come so come back because this this is gonna get uh, it's gonna get interesting, and then after this, it's gonna get very interesting, and then after that, more interesting. I don't have a way to land the plane on this episode, so at any time here, Paulina, you can think of a reason for me to stop talking. Go ahead. Get this. Get your boss witch shirt here. Oh wow. Lena, you, we, I need to start like getting someone to collect all your fun voices between the mayor and that. That was good. Like audible.com. Do it again. Thank you. Get your, wait, now I'm doing a different, get your <laughs> boss switch shirt here. Hey, you know what's something we can end on? You were about to do a sexy voice by accident. I know. Isn't oh, I, I can do, oh, oh. Oh, Paulina, Would you? <laughs> Isn't it weird how many, like, sex commercials used to be on the air when we were kids? Like, they would show Girls Gone Wild, like, porn previews on TV, guys. Can you imagine? Now we just have them in the palm of our hands. (laughs) Captain Planet. Okay. If you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story.